Welcome to In the Seams, a podcast by Broken and Mended, with your host, David Heflin. Well, I want to welcome you back to the In the Seams podcast. I know it's been a little while since we've been uh, here together. I've had a, a busy and a bit of an irregular summer, but I'm kind of looking forward to the fall and the the structure and the rhythm that that provides and hopefully can get back together like this a little more often. Uh, I am excited as we kind of kick off this this fall season to have Jesse Wilden with us and she's going to be talking to us about a, a very difficult story but a story in which she has you know found some very important lessons and and more than just the lessons I think a story of hope and forgiveness in the midst of tragedy and I think I should say that it may not be obvious, and I want to say this up front so that our, our audience stays with us, it may not be obvious to people with chronic pain and chronic illness the direct relevance uh, to this story, but I will say a couple things about that. For one thing, I think from what I know of the story, and I haven't read the book, I've just read some of the information that Jesse has provided, uh, but I, I know a little bit about the story, and I I know that it's an important human story uh, and and God's story uh, in in its own merit, and those are always worth hearing and always worth telling, regardless of how it directly relates to a particular audience. But I also want to say there are some things we're going to touch on that I think really overlap in terms of you know difficult issues for the chronic pain and illness community that is mainly going to be my audience uh, when we're talking about things with mental health, things that are deal with suicide, um, some of those more difficult and tragic aspects of of, of life struggles. And so, um, and in those things, we need to find uh, stories of hope and forgiveness as well. And so I, uh, I think there will be a lot here for everyone listening. And I want to just say that I came into contact with Jesse uh, uh, indirectly through my wife, Katie. Katie has a really good friend named Amy. Presumably Amy will be listening to this at some point. So we say, hi, Amy. Uh, and uh, Amy is a good friend of our guest, Jesse, and, and so we're, we're uh, thankful to be connected through those uh, mutual relationships, and uh, just want to mention, Jesse has written a book that is coming out very soon. We'll talk about the details of that at the end of our, of our, our time together in terms of where they can get it and when they can get it and all that good stuff, but uh, let me let me go ahead and let's get into the conversation. And Jesse, first of all, thank you for being with us uh, on the In the Seams podcast. And I want to just start off by asking a little bit about uh, your book, the title of your book, which is "We Wrote Your Name in Color," uh, and tell me a little bit about the, the background or story to that title and and how we got to this point. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. I was just thinking about how great it is to have friends, to make more friends. <laughs> so I'm so happy to be yep. here, David. Amen. Really honored, really honored to be talking about this. And um, so, yeah, my book is called We Wrote Your Name in Color, and it releases in October. And it um, really, the, the name actually for a long time was called The Year of Mila. And what it is, is it because it's a memoir, it's not a whole biography, so it doesn't tell the whole story of my life, thankfully. <laughs> it okay. was kind of the nine months I was pregnant with my my last daughter. And in that time, um, it was probably the hardest year that we've ever experienced, but also the most beautiful, breathtaking year. And the what had started it off was I really didn't write it to be a book. I wrote a story that was meant for my kids. Is there's so many times where we see something beautiful and we're the only ones who see it. And so my husband and I had decided after 10 years of praying that we were going to build our dream house um, in Mount Shasta, California. We lived in a suburb about 30 minutes away, and that had really been where our life was. And so we decided that we were going to sell our house and temporarily move into the back of his parents' garage and start building this house. And this is the story of that year. So we were living in the back of the garage. <laughs> Our two daughters were living in the main house with grandma and grandpa. We thought we had it all planned out. Um, the house almost fell through. And then what started happening was 
we got a big surprise as right as we started the house, we found out, guess what? I'm pregnant. So it felt like I had a 16 year old and a 10 year old Mm. daughter and guess what? I'm pregnant. But two months after that, (laughs) two months after that, we had something flip our lives in such a big way. And my husband's littlest sister and her husband, who are also our best friends, um, had a suicide homicide and nobody saw it coming. Nobody. And we live in a really small town of just over 3000 people. And so as you can imagine, this just ripped through the town and our family. And we had promised them that when, if ever something were to happen, when their babies were born, they had two children, um, when they died and we had promised to take care of them if anything happened to them. So immediately we had two more children to care for, um, not legally yet, but that moved in to that situation with us. And um, we live in, a, like I said, a small town, but we have a really special, weird, funky little thing going on on one of the frontage roads and it's called Graffiti Bridge. And it's just a bridge where trains migrate across with cement walls and two cars can barely fit under it. But it has become one of the social media platforms of our town. So if someone's struggling with cancer, you'll be like, you know, go Deborah. (laughs) Or someone hates Trump, you'll see that there, (laughs) you know. And it's kind of like continually painted over, rolled and re-rolled, beautiful things, hateful things. And it really kind of represents like everyone and the right after Danny and Rena where their names died the youth group out of like grief and remembrance pulled some people together including my kids and said you know let's go paint the bridge so they painted the bridge with love and beauty and what ended up happening was in the middle of the night someone would come and cross out Danny's name And because he had killed Rena, I think people just wanted justice. I think they just wanted his life not to be celebrated so this wouldn't happen to someone else. But what I got to experience was because I had morning sickness and I would go into the main house to get some protein in the morning, I would experience watching my husband's mom pull on her shoes and grab a can of paint, a a can of spray paint, whatever was in the garage. And every morning before anyone got up, she would go paint his name back in color. And so every day his name changed in color and every night someone crossed it off. And that was a story that only I witnessed. And I remember thinking as COVID hit and I spackled and painted every project around the house with shut in (laughs) and found some respite and some creative space. I thought, I want my kids to know that story. But really that becomes the whole anthem of the book because Graffiti Bridge is the world. It is what is around us. And we get to choose to add people's name back in color to in love paint over what could be erased or hate that hatred. And, um, but her, because it was her daughter, it just was the most breathtaking piece of forgiveness and love that I had ever witnessed or close to it. And so that became, I wrote the whole story that was somewhere in the middle kind of timeline. And then when I tore apart the story and did some like flashbacks and made it a little richer, one of my writing coaches said, Hey, I know your prologue. I'm like, you do? And she goes, yeah, it's graffiti bridge. And so now it even, it was the first story I wrote and it is the first story in the book to open up basically that whole idea of loving someone, forgiving someone and painting their name back in color. Well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, I mean, it's such a, a difficult but powerful story. And and I and I do think that's a, a beautiful and powerful metaphor for, like you said, the world, uh, the things of beauty, the things of ugliness, the tragedy, but forgiveness and love too, all kind of mingling together. Um, you know, a couple of thoughts came to my mind as you were, you know, sharing that. And, you know, one is we hear these stories all the time, you know, uh, on, on the news or, you know, get a headline, you know, the murder, suicide type stories. And, and they just feel so distant. And in a sense, like 
well, they, they couldn't happen. They couldn't happen to you, you know, and, uh, or anyone, you know, and I mean, that's, we know that's not logically true. Um, but no, but it's absolutely um, how we feel. Right. And, and I was thinking, uh, too, about the fact that a couple different families, my wife and I have had relationships with where we have made that same agreement, uh, about their kids, you know, and they're to raise them of something. And, and again, these are things to us that seem like such a remote possibility, and then they've, but they've happened, you know, in, in your case. And I'd, I'd like to kind of ask, and this kind of goes along with that first question is because it's part of the backdrop of what led to, you know, led to the book and everything, but, uh, your own journey from, uh, you know, there, did you, was it your, it's going to be your mother-in-law, right? Your, mm-hmm. is that who we're talking about here was doing, okay. Yeah. So your yeah. mother-in-law, mm-hmm. Does she kind of lead the way for you in being able to forgive and accept, or is that something that came to you pretty naturally because of your close relationship with him? Um, and I guess what I'm asking is, how did you find some good in in this tragedy uh, that that you and your family experienced? Hmm. That's such a good question because, right, how do we wrestle with that, and how can we know it even in our mind and then live it out? Um, for me, yeah. I could tap back into an experience in my life. When I was 16, I had been abused secretly and no one knew. And then I had um, kind of just kind of just that dominoed in my life of just everything going downhill. And there came a night where I took um, like the only pills I had near me, which were a half bottle of melatonin. And I woke up with a sleepy hangover. But at that point, I really understood that someone who, in my experience anyways, that someone who wants to kill themselves, it's not because they want to die. It's because their life is ablaze, like their their mind is ablaze that like, and if you think of yourself in a two, three story building and the ceiling is on fire and the walls and the curtains and the floor beneath you and you see a window I think it's not that you would ever in your right mind, or if your life wasn't a flame, jump out that window. You would never think that, but because you just right. feel like there is no other way, you know, like this is the way. And so tapping into that, but also knowing that it was still a choice. Um, a lot of people said, you know, he wasn't in his right mind or he wasn't. And I thought there were so many influences that we, of course, can't even know the depth of in a person. If I had died the night that I took those pills, my parents wouldn't have known why. And so it allowed Mm. me to kind of like not have to answer every question. I soon told them why, and my life took a dramatic change. Um, and I'm here today, but Mm. I think we are all very close to one terrible night, you know, um, closer than we Mm. think. And especially with something like chronic pain or, or like hurt in our lives or in our hearts or in our minds. And the other thing though, that was more surprising than my experience, um, was I asked my husband that one night because so many people in our town, not only on graffiti bridge, but on Facebook and Instagram everywhere, were just angry. And we were going to have a memorial for both of them for their children, for us, you know, because we loved both of them and their lives were so interconnected, but people were frustrated by that. You know, they did not want Mm -hmm. to celebrate one with the other. And um, so we did see a lot of those comments. And one night back in our little 300 square foot apartment, sitting on this red tattered couch, I asked my husband, I was like, are you angry at Danny? Like, are you? And he took such a deep breath And he's like, you know, I am the same as Danny, because if the Bible says, like, if you hate someone, it is the same as murder. So if I look back over the whole course of my life, how can I say I'm any different? And I just remember thinking, like, I had never read it like that. Like, of course, I would have said I believed it, but I had never felt that hurt and heal. And I looked at him and I realized with both of us in our own ways empathy trumped judgment. It really was the four, like that was the only thing that was stronger than the judgment because I was Danny and my husband was Danny. And that doesn't mean that we were near that experience, but it means, it means that we all 
can hurt and we all can feel lost and we all can make very, very bad choices, but that does not define us. Yeah. Well, that's again, powerful. Thank you. You know, that, what was it you say? Empathy trumps judgment or triumphs over judgment. How did you say that? I think it trumps judgment, but it triumphs Trump, over judgment okay. too. Because yeah, if you yeah, see yourself right. as the same, there's no room for judgment. You would judge yourself. I think what we often do is we want to figure out what went wrong so we can space off. It's yeah. the opposite. So if someone gets breast cancer, this is so weird. I've seen this. They're like, okay, did you eat enough kale? Was it the kale? You know, oh. And you're like, no, I ate kale. They're like, was it in your family? Because if it's not in my family, but it was in yours I'm, or a divorce, you're like, what did you... You know, like what was the what was the thing? Like was you know, and you find that out and then you can almost space off. And often that's why we're asking questions is so we can protect ourselves. But it's such an act of of Christ actually to say, like, like I don't know everything about you and I can empathize, you know, I can say that nobody, nobody is so far that they would never have a worse day. You know, that is so good. And I think one of those ways in which I didn't initially even anticipate as we were kind of working on what we were going to talk about, you know, that would be kind of one of those overlapping or crossover, you know, issues with your story and chronic illness, chronic pain. But but the issue of empathy is is one in which uh, is a, a great struggle with people in the community that, you know, we're representing, so to speak. Um, and because they have a hard time finding empathy with those that aren't going through a similar thing, everyone's going through pain of some kind. That's one of the things we emphasize in Broken and Mended, so that we want... We don't want people to, to completely define themselves by their, their pain and suffering either. We want them to understand that because you don't want to isolate yourself from the rest of the human community over it, you know. And so it's a fine balance. But I do think they also need sometimes to be able to talk to people who have been through a similar experience so that they can get some understanding. Uh, and there are so many comments that people get with chronic illness. Uh, it, it blow your mind just that are more in line with judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I've had people blame my uh, problem on diet soda, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the chronic illness that I have. And if you just don't drink that and, you know, you'll get better. Well, I, I tried that, you know, and, and uh, I, I just think that, um, yes, I, your, your observation about, wanting to define it, wanting to have an answer, you know, is kind of protects us, allows us to push ourselves away from it, um, label it and be done with it. And instead of having to wrestle with the same, the same um, struggles going on inside of us and, you know, and so, and there's humility in that perspective too. So I appreciate you sharing all that. Um, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about your community. Uh, You know, you mentioned being 3000 or so and, uh, you know, certainly if this were in a city of a million people, it's just as tragic, just as difficult. But I think the small community element adds a, a different dynamic. You've alluded to it some. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm curious about is have you seen your story as it's unfolded and everything that's happened have any positive impact on your community? Have we, have, has there been any change of perspective or do those things kind of stay status quo? What's been your experience with that in your community? Mm, That's a good question. Well, my perspective at first was being in a small community was such a negative. I remember going to church a few days after they died and there was a news crew there and everybody was watching us and that continued for a long time. And then like you, like I told you about on social media and things. So just to go to the grocery store, you caused almost someone to start weeping, you know, by the celery. Mm. And so it kind of like, it was just, I remember thinking like this fishbowl is something that I hate, you know. Um, But what God allowed me to do, one of the things that really buoyed me that I think really, really like resonates with any kind of pain is that I needed to look for good like I look like I like it was medicine. Like my life depended on finding good. And we talk about thankfulness, but I think often we feel that it will arise in us and we will be thankful. And what I found is the deeper the pain, the more you have to be a treasure hunter. And I mean like you're digging deep and it's like to bow to yourself even by the end of that day that you have to think of three things before your head hits the pillow can sometimes be hard. 
And I think we need to be real with that, that it's that thankfulness is not something that is natural. But what that did is it, I kind of made a promise with myself that I would find three things. And I would just suggest to anyone who finds that overwhelming in their life, just do one, just start with one. But every day you're going to find one, one true goodness from your own eyes, from your own experience. And so because I made that, that fishbowl started to soften in my mind. And what I saw was people trying to be helpful and people not knowing what to do. And I started having empathy for the people who were and as opposed to just feeling like, you know, this is so annoying and so hurtful. Yeah. And what started happening is I started see- letting them in in certain ways that I could, maybe not initially, but for instance, the day we moved into our new house that we were building, we moved in as a family, all of us, everyone had their own bedroom with their own paint color. It was beautiful. And I thought that's why we were building this house then. But that day I drove down the driveway 60 people were waiting to move us in and a the biggest moving truck I've ever seen someone had rented people had rented storage units for us for uh, Danny and Rena's stuff people had and then they brought us dinner and one person's like we get your bed set up and we put the sheets on that's like first thing you know and I was just astounded like at what I hadn't been seeing so that same part that made them all look at us and run into us at the grocery store in that manner was the same love that poured out over us. So yes, there were people who were angry at Danny and many people who saw it differently. And I believe still do. And that's one of my excitements. This book comes out um, on the month of the fifth anniversary since then. And I am excited because the main reason I wrote it once I really made it into a, was making it into a book was I thought, how are we thriving? Like I look under our roof and our kids are so happy and so joyful. Um, and life's still hard a lot of days, but I look in our community and I was sensing there were a lot of people stuck in grief or stuck in anger, or just had kind of lost themselves through this. And I would see it in posts, especially on Memorial days of, you know, Danny and Rena, like a birthday. And I thought, what if I could share what it was like from my view and how I clung to certain things that helped buoy me, that helped heal me, Um, maybe not as a roadmap, but maybe that will be something for the community. So a lot of that is to be seen, but we did have a couple people write us or call us and tell us things later, like that they were really sorry they wrote those things or we had um, the 911 um, operator who took um, now my daughter's call when her parents died, like how that affected her. So there's been a lot of healing in the, the fray of it. And so I'm really, really expectant to open up those conversations and talk about goodness here. So it sounds like in a lot of ways, it's still ongoing, uh, this, uh, this story uh, between uh, what happened in your family and the community, and you've already found much good in it, and and that it will, like you said, now be with the book and everything, be an avenue of opening up uh, even more opportunity for for good. Um, yeah. Just just curious, how old were the kids, uh, their kids, when they died? So five years ago, they were ten and eleven. Ten and eleven, so they're getting into those uh, pretty big milestone years and everything now, I guess, huh? Mm-hmm. And they're doing it beautifully. <laughs> are they? Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Good. That's good. Well, I did want to touch on, you know, an area here that comes uh, that comes into play, you know, and, and again, between um, your story and in the, you know, and our in the seams audience, you know, as we've talked about a little bit with chronic illness and chronic pain. One of the things, and I haven't looked up the stats in a while, but I, I've done it in the past where people with chronic pain and illness, their incidence of, of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, especially, uh, are much higher than general population. Um, and then also because of that, related to that, is uh, the fact that the suicide rates are are much higher. Uh, one unintended consequence of the opioid epidemic, uh, you know, has been that some people with chronic illness and pain that really needed those medicines just to uh, really to 
to, to, to have a livable life, you know, have, have found themselves cut off from those very um, needed drugs. And, mm-hmm. you know, and not, not and addiction is a big issue, but some of the people that got cut off of the medicines needed those and weren't addicted. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen suicide increase because of that as well, because they just, they feel hopeless, you know, they feel like, mm-hmm. you know, if I can't get any relief from this pain and I'm looking at maybe living with it for, for decades. Mm-hmm. And, and already I want to say, you've said something very helpful to that because you talked about finding the one good thing that day, you know, that day to day kind of approach instead of thinking about, I got to live 40 years this way, maybe, you know, that that's yeah. overwhelming if you try to think Absolutely. of life that way, you know, but but these, these are very real problems. And, and a little bit like you're saying, and what's not needed in this situation is, is judgment. You know, they took their life because, you know, they were weak. I mean, they've already shown their strength in so many Absolutely. ways. And, you know, like you said, it takes one bad day. One, one day in which they just felt like they couldn't do it and couldn't go on. And, and that can rob them of their lives and, and rob their family of a, of a loved one. Uh, so these are, these are heavy issues. And, and what I want to ask is just, what is something that you have learned about finding hope in seemingly hopeless situations that might encourage people to keep holding on? I think you were saying it so beautifully, like not to focus too big, um, to focus on that hour sometimes is enough and to know that it's enough and to hear that here. Um, but one thing that really freed me, and I think it's out of balance in most of us at times, is that we are not the whole. Often we feel that we need to know the answers or the reasons or how this is going to play out or um, or what people say to us, what do we respond to, how do we feel about that, or how, like what is going on in them, and a lot of things just aren't ours. And to make peace with that, saying like, God's the whole and we are not the whole. But if you swing so far to hmm. say that God's everything and we're nothing, then you are probably going to see your life as not mattering, as your pain not mattering, because that needs to be balanced with the idea that we are a part. We are, we are not the whole, but we are a piece. And God has allowed us to be an important piece. But the thing is, is if we think we're too much, if we think we are the whole, that causes anxiety and overwhelm. And who wants to live a life being the whole, you know? Um, but if we are not, if, if we think we don't have a part, you know, that's hopeless. That is hopeless to think that. But I think often we just get mixed up. I get mixed up thinking that some things are mine and they're really not. Um, and other things are don't matter that really do. And I think when God helps us to to put that in the right focus, which he really just sifts in us if we let him. We have purpose, you know, but we don't carry it all. And I think that's where um, everything flows from. I think that that's where worship can flow from. You know, I've written a book, um, but people may look up to that, but I think that can be just as full of worship as cleaning up throw up in the middle of the night from my four-year-old. Like, mm-hmm. no joke. Yeah. And I think we're often, we put things in certain views of what is worship and for God and what is a good life. And I think when we really look through Jesus's eyes for our purpose, sometimes it's just that moment going like, I trust you. And I'm convinced that you can help me through this minute, you know? Um, and that is as grand and as wide and as worshipful. I think about the widow with the two coins. Sometimes that's all, if, if you're familiar with that Bible story, it's like, it isn't how much we give, it's how much it is to us. Mm. And I think that people with chronic pain or people with chronic mental pain, either way, I think they, no one knows how much they have to spend. They're looking through their own account, you know, their own, how much they have in energy and time and effort and like even a white knuckle through something. And we forget that we are not the same, you know, we are not all the same and we don't all have the same tools or experiences or support. And there's so many pieces, but God knows all those things. And so I think when I have felt so misunderstood, and I'm sure many people listening today feel that. Um, 
But I'd like to share one thing on um, Suicide Awareness Day, which was September 10th. I shared a post about oh, like okay. the colors that um, like represent who how suicide has affected you. And I green meant that you had struggled with suicide or attempted. And I just started weeping because 150 people shared that they were green. And I thought, we don't know as we walk around who we almost lost today, you know, and we don't know who's close. And so I think, you know, that can be part of our job to remember that. Um, but we don't hold all their decisions either. And so that is something that has has really helped anchor me through this. Yeah. You know, um, as I was thinking about the purpose, you know, that people have in life and, and how if we let something become the whole, it can blind us to that purpose to keep going, you know. And I think sometimes pain, suffering, and like you said, whether it's mental or physical, or grief. I mean, it could be any of those things that can just yeah. consume us and that's all we can see. And I think there are those times uh, when something is especially fresh and new or overwhelming that surviving is your purpose, you know, for that, yes. for that period of time, you know, yes. and, and, and that's okay because that's all God is asking us to do is to keep holding on to him uh, during that time. I do think one of the things we've tried to do in Broken and Mended is to let people know that illness and pain do not rob your purpose uh, or, or the way that God can use you and, the, and that God actually delights in using uh, weakness and brokenness uh, in, in order to, um, you know, to show his, his strength and his power uh, in, in our lives. And that's the reason why, you know, broken and mended the name, it kind of comes from the idea of Kintsuji and, you know, the, in the seams, you know, with the, uh, where the brokenness is, you fill it with, in this case, gold, you know, precious metal. Mm. But, but we're talking about stooky. how God shines through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You probably said it better than me, but, uh, cause I, <laughs> but in any case, I think, uh, you know, that it's, uh, important for people to know that it's important for mm. people to know, like you said, that your pain is not the whole. And, mm. and these are things we have to give that we have to give to God and allow God to be the whole. Um, not to the diminishment of our own personhood or struggle, but to know that he's walking with us in that. And so, yeah, very well, well said. And, and I think that's something that really relates to people uh, in all, whatever kind of pain they, you know, they may be in. Mm -hmm. um, but we want people to know that your life is worth it. Uh, you're mm -hmm. and, and that God is, as long as we're still drawing breath, that God has purpose in your life and mm -hmm. will, uh, still be at work in your life and in the life of others through you. And I, I wanted to pick up too on this theme of forgiveness. Uh, and this is something also related to some of the people with chronic pain and chronic illness. In my case, I want to say that I've been very blessed through this whole experience to have, you know, very good support um, from family and friends when I've been going through chronic illness and pain. But I know a lot of people where that was not the case. Uh, I even know some people who were abandoned by their spouses because they decided mm -hmm. they didn't sign up for this when they, um, I mean, just, just difficult, uh, betrayals and, and broken hearts left behind sometimes from a child, uh, that, uh, a friend, close friend who no longer was going to be their friend because they couldn't keep up with their lifestyle, all kinds of different situations that I, I know about, uh, that has happened to people through that have chronic pain and illness. And so, I want to ask, what would you say to someone who told you that sometimes forgiveness is just too hard? Uh, and what, what makes forgiveness worth it in your experience? That's a really good question. I think, I think knowing Jesus makes all the difference because I think we don't see ourselves rightly most of the time and mm -hmm. how broken we were or how um, ugly we were, or how we can be. And I think we put on a really good facade. Um, but if you like really knew ourselves inside, you know, kind of thing. And I just feel like when I think about it, I think about um, how what what Jesus went through for me, which I can circle back to. But I think that if you don't have that, I think even then, the idea of forgiveness is... Um, 
it really circles back to that we're not the whole. And if you decide that you need to hold on to unforgiveness, or if I decide in order to prove a point or to feel like I can protect myself from it happening again, I mean, think about the reasons we we hold on to unforgiveness. You know, it's because it it kind of protects us a little bit. We don't want to mm-hmm. say it was okay. We want to, there's actually a strength in anger that is a vapor, <laughs> but it feels like you have power because that's the only thing you really have power over. That is your peace to forgive or not. And right. So I think mm-hmm. it comes mostly though, from a place of fear, because if we are to forgive, what is on the other side of that? Like what possibly could happen if I forgive, then does that mean that it was okay? No, it doesn't because we don't hold that part. Um, if I were to forgive, maybe I'll just fall apart. Like maybe that anger is what is being able to fuel me through the days, you know, to be like, stick it to them. And I kind of understand those things because what, if someone told me that, like, how do you, what if I can't forgive because it's too hard? I'd be like, yeah, it is. It is. And what has helped me is to know that I have a God who weeps with me and loves justice and heard every word that they said and saw every time that they left me. And then I realized they left him too. Mm. And they they hurt him too. Because not only was Jesus beaten, we always kind of highlight the, the whipping, which was, was worthy of highlight. But they made fun of him. They called him names. They degraded him, disgraced him. He hung on that cross naked. And that's often how it feels to be in pain. And he did that. He didn't need to do that. And so when I really, really think of him up there and not only just thinking of like the whole world, but thinking of me, thinking of me, like if I was the only one in the world who accepted that, he would have done that anyways. I don't know how to not like live right with him and thank him in any other way. That does not mean that it hurts so deeply. Like it, it feels like it will undo you. And I think we need to normalize talking about that. It feels like if you let this go, if I let this go, if I just, even for an inch, like I'm going to, I'm not going to make it. But what I have found is that is the worst point. Choosing it, thinking the fear of choosing it. But once you choose it, and sometimes you have to choose it a hundred times a day. To be real. But once you choose it and once you practice it, like if you're working out and that muscle gets stronger and you say, that's not mine, that's God and I let God's and I let that go. You stop limiting your joy, because I think in order to to have unforgiveness, we numb ourselves. We just kind of numb ourselves because now we don't really trust people. Now we know what they're capable of, like we didn't before. And I think when we start numbing, we numb ourselves to other things like relationships and, and joy and contentment and like sometimes even sleep and eating. I mean, like it affects our physical body. You know, we're talking about physical pain and we're talking about mental pain. Did you know they found that if I'm left out, like I try to go sit at the lunch table and I'm left out that the same neuroreceptors in my brain light up as if I spilled hot coffee on me. Really? Pain is pain. And forgiveness involves pain. But the thing is, God uses pain. And pain is not the enemy, which is just so mind-blowing and hard to believe some days, especially the really hard days. But pain is molding and remaking us constantly. And it, it helps us to share in what I believe Jesus went through and it makes us Mm. like him. And so it is an incredible instrument and to be learned to be thankful for pain is like a whole nother level. That's what I'm working on is to recognize it and be like, I don't want to be afraid of pain. Like Jesus was not afraid of pain. He walked into it. His his was a baptism of suffering. And I imagine that some of the people listening right now, you are going through a baptism, like you are being dunked all the way under with suffering. And if you find yourself there, I'm like, to cling to what he can hold for you 
and how he can hold your hand through it and walk with you. And then how you can just focus on what he has asked you to. And that's it. That's it. And I think holding that unforgiveness, holding them accountable is not on your list. It's above our pay grade, thankfully. But peace is on your list. (laughs) So we get to experience that by trading it in. What's not on ours for what is. You know, uh, recognizing what is ours and what is not so important. I think you've you've emphasized that in many of your answers today. Uh, and when I asked the question about what makes forgiveness worth it, you know, you mentioned in your answer that just a while ago that we get to become more like Jesus through accepting that path of forgiveness. I mean, how could we not be moved by Jesus on the cross, as you described earlier, and then remembering that some of the words he spoke from the cross were, Father, forgive them, uh, for they know not what they do. Not only was he for asking for forgiveness for them, but he was giving them the benefit right. of the doubt, you know, and uh, which yeah. is something when we're not Radical. forgiven, we definitely don't want to do, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, Radical. Yeah. I was, was uh, reminded of a story about, Corey Ten Boone, do you know of her? Oh, um, I that's my and, favorite book is The Hiding Place. Oh, okay. Awesome. <laughs> and I I don't know if I'll get the story exactly right, but I, I just remember at some point she talked about forgiveness, you know, being like ringing a, you know, it's like a bell that's ringing that, mm. you know, you it, it doesn't stop ringing instantly, you know, but it diminishes mm. with each passing time that it kind of hits the side of the, you know, the bell. Uh, but she did say something along the lines, but you can't keep pulling the rope, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't keep going <laughs> back there and, and starting it all over again, you know, and re, um, and I think yeah. that's part of that choice that we have to make, uh, you know, and so, uh, yeah, yeah great, agree. uh, great, great stuff on that. Thank you very much. And I wanted to just kind of get ready to kind of close out the conversation um, just give me an opportunity to, to emphasize anything else that you would think kind of from your story that transcends, we've talked about how pain is pain, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so, and that's the thing about your story is that not everyone has it and, and everyone's got a unique story, even when they're dealing with similar things. But, uh, but the one that you're talking about is unique to the majority of people that are going to read your book or that are going to uh, know your story. And we've been touching on a few things today that we believe transcend your particular story to speak to all of us that are going through a time of of pain. And is there anything else you would want to emphasize about that that we haven't touched on today? Hmm. I think we've pulled on its threads, but I would just, I think one of the things that I didn't realize that I'm still learning that I would want to share is that we're going to have pain and we know it remakes us in some way. And it's going to either how you view that, how you filter that, how you choose to filter it. It's a choice is really going to be which camp you live in. And I believe that there's kind of two camps. I believe that either you can see kind of think back to graffiti bridge as life is adding or God is adding to your life. Or you can see life is stealing. Hmm. It's like if you lose a child, like I was stolen from, there is that like, you know, um, and I remember one story really quickly that my oldest is now 21, but at the time she was 10 years old and she was into horses and she would do horse shows. But one day it was a very windy day and that's not a good thing for horses. And we were outside riding the horse and the horse got spooked and just took off with her. And I remember one prayer to God in that moment, because when she was born, her name's Katrina, when she was born, we almost lost her. And that story's in the book, but we almost lost her. And it was such a miracle that we brought her home and that she was now 10 years old. And in that moment, I thought, you know, like if you take her now, she was yours and you gave us 10 years. And I remember that prayer came to me and she's fine. She's 21. She's going to college. She's, she's amazing. She's miracle after miracle. But I remember thinking like, what a difference it is to think God takes as opposed to steals. Because I think when we Mm. feel like life is just stealing from us, like I look, a comparison does that very easily. I look around and they're healthy. 
or they don't struggle with depression or they didn't lose somebody, you know, um, it's very easy to think like we're being stolen from. It was ours and taken from. And I think what that does when lived out every day becomes the anthem of your life. But so does looking for those good things. And by seeing God adding and kind of like blaming him for everything good in your life and all the things that you're learning or like fall if like finding those that becomes a shield to us and that becomes like the threads that make our lives beautiful um and so i would just say like you get to choose your camp um abundance or scarcity but the great news is is you can change camps in a second you can change camps today you can say okay i kind of realized because of this thing that Jesus wept with me over that he understands was a really big deal. But if I let this go and I see it as adding to my life or I try to, I just risk it. Like your life will start changing and you will be mighty in all the ways that God wants you to be. And you will find so much hope within those threads, no matter what happens on the outside um, to you. And so I would just say that choose your camp and be really aware of it. And that has that has been the way God has rescued me. Mm. Thank you for making the good news sound like good news. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the way it's, that's the way it's supposed to be. And, you know, we, um, I, I relate to so much what you're saying in my own struggles and knowing that, you know, whether I knew Jesus or not, I would likely, I think, be going through what I'm going through. I'd much rather go through it with him than without him. And it, and it gives, it gives that sense of purpose and meaning that I just couldn't find without him. And, you know, majority of my, our audience here, I think today will be uh, Christians, but, you know, I, I've always tried to make it a welcome environment to anyone and that could come and, and that, especially that are going, of course, through chronic pain and illness. Um, And, but I've always said and tried to be upfront about it that, when it comes to me trying to give any kind of hope or encouragement, the only way I know how is, is through Jesus. And, uh, he's the, he's the only way that I can make sense out of what is happening to me. Even when I can't make sense of it, I still make sense of it in the sense that I know that he's with me and, and without that, without him, um, I, I don't know how I could, you know, I don't know how I could do it. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. May I I touch on that? That was just so beautifully said. And I just agree with all of it. I think we often feel misunderstood. The deeper the pain, really, I feel like the more we get misunderstood. Um, And I, I think one of the things is that's okay. It's okay to be misunderstood. And that is worship. Just, but what you're saying is there is someone who understands all of it. And we get to do it with him. And that that does that changes the whole game. Redeems it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jesse, uh, how uh, can and when? I know it's soon, uh, but you can tell us exactly. Uh, well, people can get your book. I want to encourage people to please uh, go out and and get it or order it. And uh, so, tell us a little bit about the details of that. Yeah, it's called "We Wrote Your Name in in Color." And my name is spelled with a Y-E, so it's J-E-S-S-Y-E, in case you run into that, Wilden. And it's really anywhere online. It's Target, Walmart, Amazon. Um, And if you would pre-order that, I don't know if you know that, but that is like a special gift to authors because those numbers matter. And it also helps us know how many books to print. So yeah, pre-ordering it now, it will release October 19th. And so if you're listening to this after then, that would be so great. But share it with a friend. Um, let me know what you think. You can find me on jessiewilden.com, and I'd love to hear. And Wilden is W-I-L-D-E-N also. And, uh, of course, that will be here in the uh, title of the a podcast, and it will be in the show notes and all that good stuff. In fact, I'll go ahead and link your, your website uh, to, you. uh, to the show notes as well. And yes, I encourage uh, certainly all the people listening to get the book. I know my wife and I intend to do so as well. I think 
uh, she got to read uh, an, an excerpt, and she's already excited about reading the rest. And so I just want to thank you again, Jesse, for being with us. And uh, means a lot for you to, to share your story, to share what God has taught you in this. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really powerful. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been one of the good things in my day. You know, count, count one right there. <laughs> good, good, good. Mine too. Uh, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, uh, like Jesse said, whether it's later or, or pretty soon after we, we put this out there, you know, we're always grateful to uh, uh, get new listeners and returning listeners. Uh, want to mention that we have a new website launch. If you've gone to brokenamended.com, uh, it's going to now be brokenamended.org. Uh, I think we'll get it set up where .com will redirect. Uh, but it is nearly finished. It's been a long process. It is a major website overhaul, but it's going to allow us to connect with so many more people in a, a much more effective way. Uh, and all the podcasts are there as well. And we will have it set up where you can listen to the podcast uh, there from the website. Uh, of course, um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast now, you've probably already found a good way to, uh, to find it. But in any case, if, if you're ever just want to go to the website and on your phone while you're driving and play it from there, you could do it as well. And I uh, want to mention there are many opportunities to connect to the Broken and Mended Ministry. The podcast is just one way in the seams, uh, but you will find blog posts there. You can also trying to organize support groups for people uh, living with chronic pain and chronic illness. Um, and we have a Facebook group, which is really kind of the center of our ministry. I know not everyone's on Facebook, but it's the best way we know to connect with as many people as we can. Uh, and so all that's on the website. And if if uh, you can actually go to brokenamended.org uh, now, it's not a completed site, but it's, it is usable, at least most of it. And uh, Or you can go to brokenamended.com until we take it down or it redirects. Uh, so just want to say uh, to all of you listening, until next time, let God walk with you through your pain. And we will visit with you on a later date. So thank you for being here.